What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, want to welcome you to another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Coleman. Super excited to get it cracking on another episode. You know what it is. I got my dream team members to my left, DJ CEO, Mr. Stalin Performance, and to my right, the sixth shooter himself, understated but never underrated, <laughs> Cashmere Kurt in the building. How y'all feeling? Good, oh, man. Well, man. Good, how are you? Uh, man, it's good to see y'all. I can't complain. Yeah. Uh, I had it, so I had a thought. Today I was like in the barbershop waiting to get a cut or whatever on my way. And um, you know, they had, so my barber, they like to play, like you cleaning in the house, Saturday clean house cleaning mm-hmm. music, right? You got, we all know what that is. Yeah, right? yeah. And so he's playing Luther Vandross's Here and Now. Mm. And I started thinking, I was like, I, I've been like, you know, you we all about the same age. Mm-hmm. I've been to no fewer than eight weddings where that was the song, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. None of those what none of those people are still married. Oh wow. Like I want to know <laughs> of all the like popular songs, like because mm-hmm. you know, ordinary people was a thing for a was minute. Was a thing for a minute, yeah. Like, you know, you have these, they go in waves. Mm-hmm. I want to know like what's the most successful one? Cause should that day ever come, or I like advise one of mm-hmm. my boys, I'd be like, don't pick that shit. Yeah. Like do something else. Oh, a song that won't age well. Uh, no, not even won't age well, like just has a high. Turnover rate? <laughs> yeah, I want to have a high turnover rate. Like, you don't want to do that. I don't know. It's interesting because the only... And you're a DJ, so you should right. know this. The only thing, the only part, the only wedding that I've been to, and it's not, not even a DJ capacity, where here and now was played and then still marries my aunt and uncle. Like, okay. but they're old, and they're a little... That old, sounds about right. They're old and they're old school. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little different. Um, that is a good question. Because, like, I just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want nobody picking... I got an answer. <laughs> I want to know your answer. I don't, I don't, know, I don't have one. Anything that's current, don't play. Don't play. Mm. Your relationship is over with. Well, yeah. everything that's current is toxic anyway. So that's why you can't have it. Yeah. So, most successful, in my opinion, okay, uh, you and I, Stevie Wonder. That's always mm. a good one. that's like that. Like that's mm. one of my favorites. Like that's always a good one. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're saying uh, one to stay away from, or yes. one that they should use? Yeah. Like, what's the highest success rate? Oh, success rate. I think it has to be something that is not a popular go-to, right? So for so for yeah, my that makes I'm, it. like I'm, Tony Terry's when I'm with you, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. It's been done like a million times. So for me, I'm a huge, huge Temptations fan. So at our wedding, I did uh we played um for once in my life, the to, yeah, the okay. Temptations version okay. with Paul Williams. Yeah, it's yeah. more of a ballad, not the, the dance one. Right. Mm. So but that is like always one of my favorite. Like love I songs, think that so. that is an indication that you're thinking more deeply about it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't want to just do the thing that everybody else is doing, which I think, to your credit, is it. You, you know what it's like? You know what it's tantamount to? What is it? It's like when <laughs> back in the days, they do like an after work party or whatever, it could be a late night party. And the name of the party was also always the name of the hottest single out. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah the, that's kind of like hot in here party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nah. Yeah, nah, these are two close Fridays. We're not doing that. Right, right, right. right. So that actually brings me to like, you know, shortcuts, this is our news and views, conversations <laughs> we're not always having. Um, rap music is in the toilet right now. Sales-wise. Sales-wise. Well, Sales-wise. Sales-wise. Like, like, I mean, music-wise, right? Like, it's obviously an indication of where the art is. Mm-hmm. But I'm just wondering, like, does anybody... Like, this is the first time that you have not seen rap music chart the way that we've been used to seeing it for like decades now at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like literally we haven't seen a rap record this low on the top 100 in forever. Anybody chart like high. Mm-hmm. Number one, I guess my, my thing is, what does it say beyond the obvious? Trash, mm-hmm. right? Number two, is anybody gonna care? That's really, the question I'm going to get to. Um, will anybody care? I think the older people will care from a cultural standpoint, right? This is our, this was our introduction to uh, monetizing and profiting off a culture that we created. Was the music, right? This is before fashion, before anything. This is how we made money, right? So I think we'll care in that sense. Um, the younger people don't seem to care about much. Um, but I think the main reason why, and it's so wild, I'm having deja vu literally right now, um, what's wild about, what's the reason why the sales are bad is that you can't think of a point prior to this in hip hop 
where from a 10-year-old to a 30-year-old, we weren't all in the same boat. Right? Yeah. No, that's you, a, that's you know that, what I'm saying? So right. like, so you got to think about it like when, whether it be any from Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick to Wu-Tang to Biggie, whatever, like everybody was like, this is fire. And you had people with money who were able to support it and finance it. And then you had the kids who just kind of supported it just as a fan. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a much greater <clears throat> separation yeah. of like the people who are listening and who are listeners. And that makes sense because mm -hmm. if you think about where we were, we were just closer in age. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of who was consuming right. the music. But I mean, now, but here's the thing though. The, the, the thing that's interesting about that point is that it's not even the younger people who are keeping them off the charts. Because technically speaking, they could bump the, that music up. <clears throat> like they could bump those singles up. If they was really with it, like this is, they, this is the spokesperson for our generation, those records would chart. But they're still not charting. So that says something else even about how, you know, Everybody is consuming the art. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you, when you hear that, Kurt, when you hear like it's not charting the same way, what do you think? I <clears throat> I feel that it's kind of like what CEO said. Once we've created, I'm going to say it this way, right? To me, hip hop culture has turned into its own currency, right? Mm -hmm. And we behave and perform in trying to get rich in this new currency. And because we now consider it a currency, I think the activity and the, the vis what's the word, uh, visualization of it has now been corrupted, right? So if you're rich in your culture and that's the new currency, I need to devalue that currency. And I mm. think that happens with <coughs> the, the lack of sales, the, the lack of uh, uh, popularity, the, the influence and the content of what you're spewing, all of those different things are substantiating why it shouldn't be as valuable and as important. Mm, so it's kind of like the music version of gentrification. Exactly. Like mm. You have something valuable. Mm -hmm. My ability to monetize it for where I am is potentially limited mm -hmm. or your ability to monetize it where you are is just far too great for my personal liking. Correct. And so I'm gonna drive the value of it down so I can buy it. And so I can then own it and then go back. To that might be the most profound shit you I have never you know. on this couch I've ever never thought of. Facts. That's an interesting one. Well, that will be, I wanna hear what people have to say in the comments about it, because that's a, like, that's a real interesting one. Uh, but we gotta shift gears to a topic that we love to talk about on the Charles Cone podcast. That's your man. My man. Your man. Okay. You know him, you love him. Mr. As your man, I'm going to tell you that them taking my phones, my emails, and going through my computers is unnecessary. Mr. Outside, man Eric Adams okay. right now is in, he's, he's teetering onto hot water. Let me be very clear. I want to I be very clear. Mm -hmm. He himself has not been formally at, as of right now, as of this moment, he has not been indicted, nor has he been charged, nor has he been arrested. However, investigators- All looking. Uh, they, <laughs> yo, they, they up looking. there with a microscope, Jack. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, <laughs> I don't know what- Stay it, out the club, huh? His, they on you. His, his, his aide, one of his campaign aides, looks like she's going down. and. The thing about it is, what I can tell you, mm -hmm. as a former prosecutor, mm -hmm. if there's dirt and she go down, she's telling. <laughs> she's singing. She is telling. Now, the question I have for y'all is, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Why is, damn. You there are people who feel like, there are people who feel like because Eric Adams is a black man in leadership, he should, we nah, B. should not air him out. Nah, B. And, 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 and you know what? If, the, if this hits the editing floor and hits the cutting room floor and never makes it, so be it. But I'm just curious. You say, nah, why is that? Because this is not like, like we can't, 
there's so much in this world that we have to be conscious of our blackness and try to monitor and, and control the narrative or whatever. Like, fam, you are the mayor of New York City. That's right. I'm the mayor. <laughs> if you, if, and if I go to the French Montana show, I go to the French Montana show. <laughs> if you are trash at your job, I'm not, I'm not saving you because you black. Like, you making my life more difficult because you are bad at your job as a resident <laughs> of New York City. And let me correct you. That is your man. He's from Queens. Oh. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're He's doing. from Queens. He was the Brooklyn Borough President. I know. So, so. And now that I think about how it, you he, let might, a queen, he, he might have spearheaded all that gentrification. Right. How you let a Queens dude come and be the, 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 pres well, what, the president what, of your borough? What now I say? Queens nigga. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Your man. Mr. Outside. They used to call him Man McCheese. Now they call him <laughs> Man Outside. Like, Man Outside, like. Do you, do you feel like he deserves any protection? Extra protection, like from community, like the, the complexion for the protection? For what? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I get the narrative and I get the position of the question, but it's like, for what? You know, if you out here reckless, you can get mm. it. Anybody can get it, mm. especially on this couch, like. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And currently we on the couch. So. Right. I think that I, he, it, he got to get it. All, all jokes aside, I think that I have talked about the way people get done mm -hmm. because of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, in terms of everything that we're seeing, this is not that. Right. And right. I, and, I, and, and 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 real talk, if if this was, yo, this is excessive because he's a black man in this position, mm -hmm. I literally would be the first one to step out and say, you know, maybe there are some things that could have been done differently, but he's getting a bad rap because of who he is and how he shows up. Mm -hmm. I've done it before and I would do it again, mm -hmm. even for him. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of issues with homeboy, right. but I would. My point is this ain't that. It ain't, ain't that. that. It ain't that. And so the other thing that people have to realize, because a lot of people like even when Bun came on the couch and, mm -hmm. and but he was like, yo, I hear you got a pretty cool mayor. That was like an awkward moment. Yeah. Because like I didn't really want to detract and get into the politics of it. Mm -hmm. But from the outside looking in, people think, oh, he outside. Yeah, he's always he's always outside. Always outside. That's Matter of fact, that's, he's that's, his, own, city that's where his office is, the club. I also think that people don't appreciate, and I'll take a quick second to bust it down for the audience. People don't appreciate the fact that he sold, black people didn't put Eric Adams in office. And if you are not from New York, you wouldn't really know that, mm -hmm. right? There were progressive, uh, so-called so or self-branded progressive white people who say, yo, we want to put somebody in office who's going to clean up these streets, be tough on crime, uh, and, and make me feel safe Walking my dog in Brooklyn at 3 a.m., mm -hmm. listening to my earbuds and drinking Starbucks. That's the, that's what they want. <laughs> right, right. And he's and he said, I'ma do that. I got you. His his talking points were all super right wing conservative talking points. Mm -hmm. He's a former cop. It, it just these are facts. Yeah. I'm right. not, I'm not these you know are opinions. throwing shade right, on homeboy yeah. name. And so I say all of that to say a lot of people's understanding about who he is. Eric Adams has a uh presence. On a on a on a very large scale, because he goes on Instagram and he be in shots with Dipset. Mm -hmm. Dipset probably doesn't watch the news respectfully. <laughs> so like, and, and no no shade. Right. I love Dipset, but like, right. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say they're the most well informed about what's exactly probably happening. Probably not. Like right. the different dynamics, right? right? And so that is where this sort of interesting conundrum applies. I'm watching this story. Mm -hmm. I'm watching this story because for somebody who had all of that whoop-de-wop about crime and getting tough in the city and getting things straight, so on and so forth. Now you got the boys on your ass. How does it feel? Like, that's just <laughs> they what it on that. They on your ass. He, you know, he's the dude, he carries himself like he's untouchable. He's the, he, he, was, go. he was the asshole he's been in real high flipping, school. He's been flipping about flipping, it, too. He's like, yo, whatever. He, 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 I'm he the male. He thinks he's Trump. And mm. what he's not doing is paying attention. You see Trump is getting touched, too. Like no no nobody 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 is untouchable when it comes to feds. That's a fact. Nobody, and he's carried himself like I could do what I want, I could say what I want. Like we don't need a cool mayor. We need a, a mayor. good mayor. We need a good mayor. <laughs> we need somebody who does their job right. Like I'm not gonna vote for you because you and I've. 
DJed in clubs and he's pulled up. And people were like, oh, Eric Adams, like, why are you not at work? <laughs> like, why are you here? This is my job. Word. I don't need a cool man. Mm -hmm. I need an effective man. Right. If you cool, man. if you cool, that's just like a bonus. Right. Like, I was too young to really understand Koch and what he did and what he didn't do in the pros and cons. Mm -hmm. But like, I know before Koch got here, we was almost bankrupt as a city. Yeah. And when he left, we wasn't. And but this dude, as a kid, seemed mad cool to me. He was at the Met games, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. He, he, he was like, nice but no, he's just knowing a little bit of history about where the city was and where it turned. Like, that's like you do your job from a municipal standpoint, and then you get to whatever. I think, yeah, <clears throat> I, I think the other thing that I'll say is being mayor of New York City is like the most thankless job ever. I'm sure. Yeah. That, no, I mean, I'm sure. Like. Yeah. Everything that goes right is because it's New York. That's what everybody says. Like, oh, well, yeah, it's New York City. Uh. And then everything that goes wrong is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, I, I do place that sort of caveat. Mm -hmm. Like, that is, if for people who think that's like the best job, like in pop, nah. nah. It's like being the head coach of the Knicks. It's literally <laughs> like being a head coach. That's exactly what it is. They should have dinner all the time. <laughs> all, all the time. time. Give each other tips on how right. like, not to be such bad at losing. Yeah. But that is going to do it for us. And we are going to roll right into our next conversation. This is one that I have been waiting to drop on y'all. I hope y'all enjoy it. But in the meantime, let us know what you think. Leave it in the comments. And until then, we'll be right back with more of the Charles Coleman Podcast. What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast show. We are in the midst of our favorite segment. This is our Black Brilliance Conversations, our conversations with movers and shakers of the culture. And today, we have one of the most luminous hip-hop, legendary, musical, not even hip-hop, musical folks to ever touch a board. I, I, I have to give this brother his, his flowers because a lot of people may not necessarily appreciate the width and the depth and the scope of his work. The discography is nuts. Mm -hmm. We're talking about everybody from Jay-Z to Nas to Snoop to LL to Lil' Kim to Christina Aguilera, to Janet Jackson, to Kelly Rowland, to Destiny's Child. Like, y'all see where I'm going with this. Like, the list is dumb. And we're not, and I haven't even gotten to, here's the thing. Here's the best thing. I haven't even gotten to arguably his biggest record that you absolutely go nuts on every time you hear it. But without further ado, we are so thankful to have Rottweller in the building. Yeah, what's good, what's good, man? What's good? What's going on, bro? I'm chilling, man. Everything's good. Can't complain. Good to good to have you. So glad we was able to work this out. I you know, I want to get right into it. I want to get right into it because I didn't even talk about it's not your big well, let me ask you this. I'll just write I'll just flat out ask you. When people ask you, or if they've ever asked you, what do you consider your biggest record? Is it the record that got you the Grammy? Or the the record that everybody just goes bonkers over. Um and you know you know which one I'm asking about. I I know, I know, I know, and it's crazy because that's not my that I to me for hip hop, my biggest record is probably one of the records that people wouldn't even recognize. Really? And that's, that's my and that's my biggest record. That's my biggest record to me. What's that? And that's everybody's crazy by Nas. I love, I love that record. Like I love that record because I never, you know, Nas is the type of person that, uh, you know, when you heard him and you heard his production platform, you heard, you heard um, Pro, you heard Premier, yeah. you yeah. heard Pete, you heard, um, uh, you know, of the, of the Les. So you never thought that you would ever even cross lines with that sure. dude. You know what I'm saying? So when I heard my when I heard Nas on Everybody's Crazy, and you know what, Nas, and when I hear and when I read the reviews on Everybody's Crazy, you know people downplay it. They say that uh, you know it wasn't, you know it's I, right. you know what I'm saying, like you know, and they and they do that. But to me, that was like a golden moment for me, and I love the track. I love the track. To me, well, I love the track. You know what I'm saying. I think part of it is because 
It's on the Lost Tapes too, right? Yeah, it's on, on the, the Lost Tapes too, right? So that was one of those albums that, for a lot of people, got lost in the shuffle in terms yeah, of yeah. appreciated. Yeah, like, I'm a super Nas fan, so stuff like the Lost Tapes and the Lost Tapes too. That's what I wanted because it was the stuff that, in a lot of cases, you hadn't heard if you really wasn't following Nas yeah. before it was written. Not even Elmatic, before it was written. Like, yeah. if you got on Nas in 96, then you can't appreciate all of what the Lost Tapes was about. Yeah. Like, all kinds of stuff. And then also, there's an element of like mixtape Nas with like Blazer 50. Yeah. Uh, Foul Breeze. Yeah. Um, Life is like a dice game. Like a lot of those records, if you're not really like into it, you're going to miss what he's doing on Lost Tapes too. So I understand that, but it's a surprise to me still that that's your biggest record. Like, that's, hey, hey. that's, I love, I love. And, 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 uh, it was just like the whole, the whole method of that song because when I found out that I was going to be in the studio with Nas, man, I was really trying to just just try to do because you know, like I play everything, so I, you yeah. know, I, I was I was really trying to embrace that that quality of what he got without really knowing my samples too well. Mm. But 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 I was playing it, and there was another one too that was amazing that he was talking about. His mom's on one, but he, that one never got to see the light of day. And then, um, I think, uh, they also wanted me to remix Life's a Bitch on the Platinum album. So okay. there's a Rock Wilder remix on the Platinum album called Life's a Bitch, but, but, uh, everybody's crazy, man. I, I play that all the time. Like, I play that like I didn't do it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. So speaking of playing, I heard a story. That when you first started doing what you was doing, when you like really, really first started making it happen, you was doing beats with people and you didn't even have your own board. Yeah, true? yeah. I, I had my I, um Casper had a board. They had because you know, an MPC 60 in your early 20s wasn't a machine that you could actually you're like you're, my mom's wasn't as hip to know exactly what a three thousand dollar machine was. You know what I'm saying? Who, who I mean, who was at that point? Like, yeah. So my mom's, you know, thinking she got everybody out the house and everybody should be paying their own rent and everybody should be taking care of themselves. It was going to be hard for me to... And you know what? I wasn't college Yale type person to walk through the thing and say, hey, mom, could I please have an MPC 360? You know what I'm saying? So, like, I was blessed enough to have friends in the neighborhood like Casper had his, and I, I, you know, one day I might ask Casper, how did he get his MPC 60? And then I'm going to ask Sage, how did he get his MPC 60? Because they had him. <laughs> they had him. And twins, and the twins, big shout out to DJ Twins, they used to bring their MP60 to the crib. And I knew how they got theirs. You know what I'm saying? They DJing for Redman. You know, yeah, they, was, they working with Redman. So. They Redman and everything. And then Redman had his. So there was four MPCs that I was actually working on that I didn't have. See what I'm saying? So wow. I think what I did was is um uh when I did get my hands on an MPC sixty, you know, I worked, I worked on it, but I think I was given an MPC sixty. I think I I think Red gave me his. And then um my mother came up. I, I, my mother came up one day. No, no, I was doing some music, and then my, and then I thought the NBC three thousand that just came out, but I bought the three thousand, and it was just sitting in the corner in the box. I was still on the sixty, right? I was still on the sixty, and then one day I I picked up the three thousand, and once I picked up the three thousand, it was over. But but yeah, but but Casper, I used to do work on Casper's machine. I used to do work on uh uh Sage's machine. He was in the neighborhood. Jeff and Steve, uh, my boys, one worked in a drugstore, one worked in the record shop, and it was right next to each other. They bought an NPC. And I used to do tracks for Chinese food. Really? Yep. People used to ask me to do music, and I'd be like, yo, man, if you give me some Chinese food, I'm def I'm definitely there. You know what I'm saying? And, and I would do music for Chinese food. It was crazy. Like That's <laughs> wild. So let me get this straight. You're using other people's machines. And you just, what, you keeping the discs? 
or like, like you know what I'm saying, like in between. Yeah, I'm doing beats and I'm just giving them their machine back. Like you know, what I'm saying I think on Sage Machine, I did Welcome, I did Welcome, um, I did Welcome, I did uh, some joints for E. I was doing a lot of early joints for E when E wasn't doing like because e, Eric was so busy, he wasn't doing yeah. like everybody. So I would take like the the joints that he wasn't doing. So it was a lot of hip hop. Like like the cellar dwellers and everything. I think oh, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. machine. Like I I was just using people's machine and making money on it and then giving it back to them. I think that was I I mean my mentality should have been a little better because as I'm using your machine, I should give you something for using the machine. But we was just all just having fun and driving in the car yeah. playing beats. We ain't know. We ain't know. So now I gotta ask, if you didn't have your own machine, how did you learn? Like, how did you learn how to actually? Oh, man. So, so, uh, all right. So back when I have, I have a, I have an amazing, uh, history of, uh, how that started because, um, I was doing pause tapes with my boy Tyreek and Damon, who lived around the corner, Damon Hall, who lived around the corner with my boy Shape. And colleague and, and 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 mom at the house, you know, I would bring those pause tapes to them, and you know, it was just us on the SK five speeding up the sample, and then you know, playing it on a lower key, and then playing some jazz to it. And I had a, I had a, I had a record player that had a tape deck on the side of it, so it was just weird stuff that we was doing to try to make everything work together. And um, I brought the tape to Damian Hall one day, and Damian Hall said, "Yo, man." Rock is like, you know, he's nice. You know what I'm saying? He's nice. You need to, you know what I'm saying? So Shake brought me to Mike Orgal. And Mike Orgal brought me to Teddy Raleigh. Now I remember Teddy Raleigh being up in Harlem and he had this purple uh, MPV that everybody loved. They had a big system in it. And he heard some of my stuff. And that's when I met Xander Man. And you know, Zan the man, he, if you listen to, uh, Rex in effect, he yep. says, I got Keith Sweat, Charles Bruba, and my man, Bobby Brown. I got Zan the man, Redhead, Boy George, and, you know what I'm saying? So Zan the man was a, uh, was actually an artist and a songwriter who wrote songs for Teddy Riley. He wrote my fantasy. Um, he wrote a few other joints that, uh, Teddy Riley, he was, he was a really big songwriter. So, um, what's crazy about that is, as the day I met Zan, I went out to his house the next day, or probably like a few days later, and I stayed in his basement. This is a guy I just met, just stayed in his basement, and he taught me the MP. He taught, he was wow. the one that taught me the MPC. You know okay. what I'm saying? And, and he, like, he taught me how to use the MPC. He, he, um, like, um, uh, he taught me production. Like he did a lot of like a lot of things that you know somebody wouldn't do that just meet somebody you know what I'm saying yeah, so yeah, he was really an instrumental part of my growth and my uh and my and my build up towards like really learning the machine because I had the ideas because I was already pausing the tapes and everything right 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 but right. putting the, that machine just brought it all together you know what I'm saying like you know let you do what you do yeah you got pads of sampling three point five seconds pads of sampling you know what I'm saying you know. Until you got to like eighteen seconds, then you then you asked out or something. Like that. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I want to go to the record I've been dancing around about. There's a lot of records I want to talk about, but this one I, I really want to get into. Mm-hmm. The Rock Wilder. Oh man, the Rock Wilder. I, I I need to understand because I, I I've heard some interesting stuff about the fact that. Red did not necessarily want to get on the record at first. It was. It wasn't. It, it, all right. So I, I, will, I, I, as I do this interview and as I keep asking about this, I want to give a clear understanding of what it was. All right. Now let me know let, from the beginning. <laughs> Tell us the story. It's the funk. Red is the funk. He is the funk. If it ain't Parliament, if it ain't Zap, if it ain't, it ain't if it ain't funk, he like he just ain't. You know what I'm saying? So. I would say that the Rockwaller, the presentation of Rockwaller was probably like a little too new for his, for what he usually does because he's so into what he does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like I'll be that. I'll be that. He loves I'll be that. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, he loves that beat. That shit is like, boom, 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 boom. That's it. You know what I'm saying? A bass line, kick on a snare. You know what I'm saying? And probably like a bongo. That Red loves that. He loves that. The Rockwaller probably was, but, but but he made he made me do the Rockwaller though. He made me do it because originally I had a track. All right, Red and Meth was doing an album. It was supposed to be RZA do one side, Eric do one side. That's how it was told to me. Oh, Eric, they doing an album, we put an album together. We're gonna have Eric do one side, RZA do one side. Okay, so technically you ain't you ain't doing shit on that album. You're banned from that album. So now. Found out Scratch did a journal album. Like, oh shit, Scratch got one on the album. So they are accepting tracks from other people on the album. All right. Here I am already fresh in. I done did Muddy Waters. I done did Dance. Yeah, you, you, you in with Death Squad. You in with Death Squad. I'm doing, you know, I did the joint. I did a lot of joints. So now here I am just trying to be thinking, all right, if I had to get on Red and Best album, what would I do? To, to really solidify my place on this album amongst this dope-ass scratch beat that Scratch gave him. It was crazy. And so I said, okay, Def Jam, Redman, Run DMC, let me redo Sucker MCs. So here I am. I did boop, boop, clap, 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 clap. I made the kick harder, made the clap harder, everything. All right. So I said, okay, Red's going to do two years ago, friend of mine. Meth do. I'm MEF in the place to be. I go to some some university. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking I'm you know I'm I'm Pharrell in it. I'm trying to get my Pharrell on right. So I pick up Boogie. I just did the beat. Pick up Boogie. We jam it all day. Boogie with me all day. We jam. We playing the beat. So it's about time. We about to go see Red up at Brandson's. We go up to Brandson and. Red gets in the back of the car, play the beat. So Red in the back, he listening to the beat. Here I am. You know Red, he, he listens. He hears what he want to hear. He like. So me and Boogie in the car now. <laughs> Boogie don't know what Red's reaction is going to be. So Boogie got his face in the front. He's just like this. Because he don't know what Red going to do. You know what I'm saying? Right. So he's like this. So Red said, it's cool. You know what I'm saying? So then I'm like, nah, man, come on, listen. You do Matt, you do Run's part. We in the truck. This is how the truck. And I'm like, yo, you do Run's part. Meth to DMC's part. Baba Cap. He like, mm -hmm. I think the idea would have been dope to me. I do too, which is why I'm like, oh my God. I'm on the edge of my seat. And I'm like, wait. They was about to redo Suck MC's Red and Meth. Like, that would have been nuts. Nuts. You know what I'm saying? Nuts. So he's in the back like, it's cool. And then he, I think, think he said, because now he's talking to me and he's talking to Boogie. So he's like, so Rock, Rock, okay, Rock, you know what we do? So he, you know, ran his stupid faces. Now he got Boogie laughing. So Boogie's sitting there like laughing with him and everything. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Since he then took the vibe out the window, I'm still bopping my head trying to. Right, then, trying to get back. Yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, so he's like, he's like, he's like, come on, rap, rap. What, what you want? You just want me to rap over everything? And I said, I turned it off. I was just like, all right. So, <laughs> matter, of fact, matter of fact, I didn't even smoke his weed. I let him roll that weed and let him hold that weed. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, he was a little tight. Yeah, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yo? So now we're in the car. Yo, dude, I'm not even playing the beat no more. I'm just in the car like this. Look. Yeah, just driving like that. So then I drop Boogie off, get out of the car. I'm like, drop it in my mind. I'm like, you trainer. You know what I'm saying? Right, you left me out there. You, you, right, 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 right. you were supposed to sell this with me. You know what I'm saying? He'd get out the car. He high. He'd get out the car. So, you know, but uh, I go in the house, and I don't know, man. I had enough night, enough of the night, because I tried to sell that early. I was trying to sell that track at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So when I got to see Red, and I left Red, when I got in that house, I was like, it was like, it was like, I had to say 10, 11. So you had plenty of night left. I had. I, it was just like I went into a straight. I went into a straight meditated 
zombie like like thin. Laser focus. Yeah, laser focus. You know what I'm saying? I had two bags of weed that I got, so I put the bags of weed at the edge of my mother's thing. My mother had a turkey basement. I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't, you know, so I said to smoke out the attic. I was an addict. So, yo, and I sat there, and from top to bottom, probably one of the, one of the most, one of the most, how do you say it? Like, I, I, that was the track that from top to bottom, I said, intro, noises, build up. I had an XP50 at that time. I had, oh, at that time when I had, it was my shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you was fucking. MPC 3000, rolling XP50, uh, a Triton TR rack. I was ready. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, like, it was like really my, my, my feeling at that time in that track. Wow. It was like everything, everything, emotion, the, the idea, the, just the fact of like, you know what I'm saying? I, I was feeling a little way because Reservoir Dogs, I didn't get the credit for Reservoir Dogs. So it was just a lot of things that I was, that had in me that time. And I was just feeling like, okay, I'm not getting my chance to really like be a lot of, cause you know, Swiss, I know Swiss a lot of times when he produced, I know he was telling DMX like, yo, this is what we need to do and blah, blah, blah. And just, and everybody who was producing, probably had a chance to really get get their idea off of what they needed. So I was feeling like at that time, let me just fill the beat up to where I don't need to pitch a beat no more. This is going to be a beat that it's going to sell itself. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to put, it's going to be my, my anger and everything in it. But it was just like, it was one of the most emotional tracks I ever produced. I could say, you know what I'm saying? Not my favorite because of what I had to do to get it, but, but to get that energy, but like they say in the books, when your back's against the wall and you let it out, your phoenix comes out. It's the phoenix. I, I, I was burning. You know what I'm saying? So, and it just so happens that we brought it to the studio. Philan was there. Meth was there. Red wasn't there yet. Played it for Meth. He went ballistic. Right, he just he just went ballistic. He caught it as soon as the first note hit. Philan loved it. You know what I'm saying? Philan was like, Yo, you got to do this. You got to do this. And then I left the studio for some reason. I don't know what it was. And then Twins went to the studio. And then when I got Twins Studio, Rich and Ray, they told me, they said, Yo, you know Red ain't like that. Red, Red wasn't popping. Like, he wasn't moving off of it. He wasn't moving off of it. I said, for real? He said, yo, he, was, he really wasn't moving off it. He wasn't, he wasn't moved off it. He wasn't moved off it. Named it the Rockwilder. Meth named it the Rockwilder. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Meth was the one who named the song the Rockwilder. But Red, in all fairness, did like it somewhere down the line because he was like, oh, my God, at the beginning. You know the traditional, oh, my God, at the beginning of the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Worked. So Meth gets on, you leave the studio. I don't even know they get on. It's just about them liking the track. Okay, so at what point does Red like do a 180 and decide, all right, I'm gonna I'm 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 get on? Electric Lady, I think, was where the vocals was done. And and to top it off, Meth wasn't supposed to start when the beat was building. He was supposed to start when the beat dropped. Wow. But, but then when the, when the beat was coming on, he said, microphone checker, swing and swirl lecture. So to us, to me, and whoever was in the studio with me, I don't know if it was Rich or was it Eddie. It was one, one of my boys in the studio. And to us, it didn't sound right because he started there because I didn't want him to start wrong. I'm over here thinking you were supposed to start on the beat. So I said, Meth, you were supposed to start when the beat dropped. He said, well, I wrote it. Like this, and then I, I so I don't know who was in the studio, Eddie or, or Richie, and they was just like, but that's just how hot rock, like him starting right there. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's getting it ready. Like you know what I'm saying? Listening to it now, I'm just like, I can't imagine it a different way. I'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. Now I can't even imagine it a different way. Yes, and in and in the. The burials of Electric Lady Files, there's actually a second verse. 
Meth Red has a second verse. I've heard that. Meth said he didn't lay his verse, but Red has a second verse. I've heard that there is a second verse. Yeah, there's a second verse. But la 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 ended the song perfectly. And also to to the blessing of it being so short, people wanted to hear it again and again and again and again. Yeah, that's one of the things about the record is that it can be played over and over and over again. Like yeah, that's, yeah. That's so, so wild. It worked. It worked. It worked well for what uh it was to hip hop. Not only did it work well, but apparently as the as the story goes, I understand, apparently a certain member of the Jackson family decided once they heard it, who's that guy? Yeah. Tell that story because um, uh, that's that, crazy. That's a moment. That's a really a moment because my brother, being the Janet Jackson fan that he was, he was actually living in the house. My brother Dale and uh, and we used to always like you know in the mornings we always like fucking around until you know we had to do what we had to do. So my brother had Janet Jackson post uh, posters all around the, all around his wall. So I told him I said, "Yo, I said well, I'm gonna work with her one day." And uh. And uh, he was like, "Word!" I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna work with her one day." And um, wow. I went upstairs. I did some production for Janet, like as if I was gonna, like as if I knew her. I was just working the joints, and I put them in the stash. And I said, "Okay, we get a chance. If I have Janet ever calls, I'm gonna do this." So, just so happens, uh, really that now that's wild. That's happened, and uh, that's wild. And then my 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 manager at that time was James Ellison. He called me and he said, "Yo, man, are you driving?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Yo, you need to pull over because this is crazy." And he told me the story. He said, "Um, somebody called him by the name of Lindsay, and said, um, listen, I don't know you and you don't know me, but Janet is looking for Rockwilder, and uh, he needs to call her at a certain time." I called her. Uh, we had a conversation concerning the, how much she loved the Rockwilder. You know what I'm saying? She loved that song. She said it, it made her dance. It just made her keep dancing, like, you know, and she was asking me what I was doing. And I told her, I said, I'm working, but, you know, whatever you need me to do, I'm down. So she flew me that's out. The, that's the right answer. When Janet Jackson asked what you were doing, the answer is, I'm doing whatever you yeah. need me to do. That's the right answer. Yeah, and then I'm sitting there I'm like, this is Penny. This is Charlene when she kissed Todd Bridges. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. Like, Anything you want me to do, I'm doing it. So we came out, and that's how that happened. Worked on an amazing album, all for you, me, her, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. Amazing man. I got some blessings. I got some blessed moments in my career, man. Listen, I, I, it's, there's so many. I mean, you your your work is so expansive, and I think one of the things that people may not necessarily always appreciate is you're not. The producer, and this is no shade to nobody. Everybody's different. This is no shade to nobody, right? Mm -hmm. But you're not the producer who's dropping um, their tag at the beginning of every beat that they do. You're not the producer that's necessarily like looking to be profiled at the same level as the artist. You have very much so, and I understand that he's a big influence of yours. You're very much so the Quincy Jones effect, as I see it, in terms oh, man. of wow. create space and music for people to be themselves and be better at what it is that they do. And yes. that's really like a different type of producing than what we see at hip in hip hop. It's no shade to anybody, but I see a lot of producers who like kind of sort of also want to be celebrities. And it doesn't seem like that's really your lane. You seems like your lane is like, I want to make songs and make music and provide space for artists to create art even better than what it is that they 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 have been doing before I worked with them. Yeah, I um, I I uh, have like a slight a slight friendship envy for Pharrell because Pharrell gets a chance to really like everything that you said. I feel like Pharrell gets a chance to really get a he gets he, people who work with him get in his vibe. And they become him. They become what he wants. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wish that I had the. Uh, I wish I had the magic that he had when it came to that. Because every producer wants their vision to be interpreted through the artist, yep. and, and they want the artist to hear it and comply to it. Like, like, really do it. Um, uh, if me and Red would have been on that note a lot. 
we you would have heard a lot of music from us. And truthfully, if I go through this computer right now, there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tracks that will never see the light of day. Unless Red says, let's drop this, let's drop this, let's drop this, let's drop this. And you will hear me and this dude really be in like like a like a like a like a Swiss beats DMX, Just Blaze, Kanye, Jay. Like you'll see a vibe. You will hear an incredible, an incredible vibe when it comes to uh when it comes to um uh uh me and Red. You would you would hear what it really was about. You know what right. I'm saying? That that anthology. You would you would definitely hear it. The person who I relate completely to when it comes to that is Busta and Beyonce. Tell me about because I wanted to get into this. Tell me about your process when it comes to Busta. Like Oh man, Busta is how's that work? You you have to find the dumbest head knock like I vibed with Buster alright when I met Buster we were he was I, well I met Buster just through shape you know what I'm saying my friend from around the way he was one of the best dancers he danced for God and we used to go to the Q club a lot Buster used to go to the Q club and I met Buster so when me and Buster started vibing and this is a crazy moment too because when me and Buster started vibing Buster had just got put on to Dilla Oh. And I know Dilla's one of your absolute favorites. Dilla, Dilla is Dilla is a guy that I share a special moment with too because when I met him, I said, yo, you ill. And he was like, nah, you ill. And we took a picture together. I don't know where this picture's at, but we were actually on the road because I used to be a hype man for Red. So we was actually in the same spot at one time and we had that conversation. Then I heard that Dilla was really like a person that liked my stuff. And I was just like, word. And then there was a, a document, there's a documentary where he actually was doing an album and he was going to put Dr. Dre, Pete Rock, and he said another name. He said high tech and he said my name on it. He said, he said Rock Walter. And that, so, that would have been so insane. Yeah, insane. So Insane. Insane, but a Dilla album. You know what I'm saying? That's so, what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. So, that was so nuts. Oh, man, dude. But the, but somebody told me that. And when he said my name, man, I just was like, oh, man. That's like, you know, Dilla. But Buster had just got the Dilla tape. And he had, on this tape, he had Stakes is High. Mm. Mental. It just, he had just did it. He had... Uh, he had uh, what did he have? He had some other beats on there that he uh, oh man, what other beat? I, I no, honestly, there was other beats on there, but that stakes is high beat. When that stakes is high beat came, oh, Buster was in the car. Now, when you listen, when you look at the beginning of Everything Remains Raw, yeah, yeah, Buster in the car. They used to really drive through the hood. I, I I've seen it. I'm so, <laughs> so real quick, real quick story. Growing up, I lived in the same building as Lars Professor. Yeah, yeah. And so everybody was coming through, and the way that, the way yeah. the building was, it was like it was a, a a a hill down, and then like a circular driveway in front of the building. So there was a um, you know, before the Samurai, there was the uh, uh, the Suzuki Amigo. Suzuki Amigo. And Buster and a couple other folks would like come through in a little Suzuki Amigo to come see Lars Professor. And they would be in there <laughs> just like that. So when I saw the video of Everything Remains Raw in the beginning, I was like, nah, that's how they be. Like, how they be. Real life. That's how they be. Yes. So uh, I met him that time. And, uh, and, and from there, like I, something in my tracks that I do always has something that is is a is a is a is a thing that attracts Buster. Like you know what I'm saying? Like the track I did for one um, with him and Erica Badu, that that attracted him because it was it was weird. You know what I'm saying? So I carried a lot of those in my in my stash. 
that he liked. He just loved those weird type salmon joints. So when I play, when I do stuff for him, it's always the beat that's just ugh. Like Czar is ugh. Oh, it's very like ugh. Yeah, you know, yeah. So aggressive, dumb. The horn doing something crazy. Like just the one that I just gave him just now it might be the first single for his next album. It's crazy too. It's called Zilla God. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that sounds like. And, and oh my God, it just knocks down buildings running through. It just goes down 42nd Street and just pushes buildings down. It just I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, and it's just his horn. It's just a straight horn that just keeps playing, but it's it's crazy. But so me and him, I share like dope moments with him like that because if I'm trying to get an idea across, either he doesn't like it a hundred percent or he loves it a hundred percent. Beyonce, you could hit on the table. And if that beat sounds like it's something, she'll start singing to it right away. Jay is dope too. Jay is dope too. If you get down Jay's lane, it's dope. It's dope too. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to switch gears for a second because uh, I want to talk about another record that like a lot of people love and know, but don't necessarily appreciate the fact that you are responsible for it. Mm-hmm. You got Missy, you got Pink, yeah, you got Christina Aguilera, you got Lady Marmalade. My, I heard that. Unlike a lot of times, a lot of people don't know this, but just, you know, folks may not know. A lot of times when artists record together, they don't actually record together. One party's in the studio. They lay their verse. They may not even be in the same city or same state. They might send the track. Somebody does their verse and then whatever. But from what I understand, everybody was in the studio together. Is that right? Everybody was in the studio together for the beginning of the idea. Okay. Uh, and then then everybody had their separate schedules. Okay. So Christina had a day, Pink had a day, um, uh, 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 Maya had a day, Little Kim had a day, and then, 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 then Missy was just like the overall perspective of it. Rod Fair, which is a very important component in Lady Marmalade, was probably one of the most incredible vocal producers and and his genius of how he put this together. Like it was one of the most amazing experiences to see him work with each artist each day and then get the best vocals out of them in takes, hundred takes, a hundred takes, a hundred takes, like seriously, of the best vocals, sometimes the same vocal a few times and then putting them on a keyboard and having a Christina keyboard, a Maya keyboard, wow. a Pit keyboard, and each tape had first tape, might use, second tape, will use, second tape, sounds good, third tape, such and such, all on one keyboard. So when you hear a lot of the end of it, when it says, uh, Christina, and when you hear a lot of the vocal, um, the vocal, the vocals in the song, he's actually taking those vocals from the keys that he sampled their vocals wow. from takes. When you do that many takes, how do you, I mean, because I know you had to have a number of them that you were like, this is it. Like, how do you know when you've got it? Out of a hundred? When you're talking about Pink, Christina Aguilera, Maya, like. Dude, dude I didn't know nothing. I, that's when I knew that vocals are a different bitch when I saw saw that level of technique from Ron Fair, when he did that, that I, I treated Lady Marmalade sessions a whole different way because there were musicians, there were uh, vocal, there were vocal producers. Well, he was just getting the best vocals. Like I was, I was looking at him like, Christina's going to do a better vocal than that. Like that's, Right, right, right. Yeah, like you know, and, and, you're already and, blown away. Yeah, let me another take. Let me get 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 another take. A professional, Maya sultry, professional takes. Just takes, takes, takes. So when you hear the part that I always bug out off when he says, uh, when it says, uh, Little Kim, and he says, Hey, hey. Right. 
uh, 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 uh. He's actually pressing the keys. So it's not her saying, hey. Okay, okay, okay. He's actually, hey, hey, uh, 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 Maya. Oh, 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 oh. So he put the he put those ad libs in there. Wow. So yeah, Ron Fair. So that's the record. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's the record that gets you the Grammy, right? It gets me the Grammy for best vocal collabo. I didn't consider myself a Grammy Award winner from that <laughs> record, but they said if there was no track to sing over, then there wouldn't have been no vocal collabo. So you are considered a Grammy Award winner from that. But I also won a Grammy from Love Me Now remix that actually stayed on the Beanie Man uh, album. Yep. Art in Life. I won a Grammy for that. And uh, there's also nominations, but I think those are the two that uh, I actually won a Grammy for. Man, this has been so phenomenal, so incredible. Um, I got like two more questions. I mean, we, I, I just so much we can talk about because uh, it's amazing in terms of the wealth and breadth of folks you've worked with. Mm. Obviously, uh, anything Beyonce is going to be a conversation for people. And I understand that um, she's arguably the biggest star oh, in the world. Uh, or at least one, easily one of them, if not the biggest. The, not the, I say the. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, I want to broaden it just a little bit. A lot of people may not appreciate this or know this. Uh you had a major role in getting the Destiny's Fulfilled album from Destiny's Child to happen in terms of like putting them back together, not in a like beef sort of way, but just putting them back together. You had a major role in that, and I'm not gonna let you not claim that. Like um, I, 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 I'm not claiming. I mean, I think what happened was is that. Me and Rashid. Shout out Rashid, who helped put me together. Shout out with Rashid. My dirty from the from the from just red. Rashid is just like you know, Rashid knows the passcodes to all my computers just in case I die. Like he's gonna be the one that released my music. Like me and me and Rashid is different. We're different when it comes to friendship. But um. We knew, we know, we know, we know Beyonce. We know we met them when we did the Booty Listens remix. Right. You know our little sisters. They were like, you know, it, it was it was our little sisters because they're young. You know what I'm saying? So we embraced them as little sisters. Tina, Mama Tina. You know what I'm saying? Pop, pop, pop knows. You know what I'm saying? Like it was family. You know what I'm saying? And um, I was blessed to one day go to see them at the hotel with with Michelle and everybody because we used to go and chill. With them and chill with Angela, which I, I was actually in love with Angela, the cousin. You know what I'm saying? I still love her now. But um, but uh, we Beyonce was going into the studio to come up with the idea for Destiny's Child, Destiny's Child, the last album, and it was gonna be, you know, something that she was trying as far as like the studio having the mics outside of the studio now, not in the control room, having the mics outside. It was a whole thing that Beyonce, I would have to say that Beyonce was 100% responsible for the idea of what Destiny was. I hold no credit towards it. The only thing that I hold towards it is that the first two songs that were taken for the Destiny Fulfilled album was the songs that I've, I that, that I did Big shout to Big Draws, big shout to uh Randy Parker, you know what I'm saying? It was the songs that I did that were the first two songs that were on the album. And that was If and Free. I so saying, I, I knew if was one of them. I can't remember which one. Yeah, it, was if, it was if and it was free. You know what I'm saying? So that's the only thing I hold for that album. I don't hold no other credit. But for- when you started it, this the, I, I understand the story is that like you started playing the record and they just like started recording then and there. Oh, yeah, they started recording, but the synergy of what that was supposed to happen with that was Beyonce, 100%. It was it was Beyonce, 100,000 million to million percent. You know what I'm saying? Because <clears throat> back with the girls, 
the, the studio vibe was we're not going to put ourselves in, in the control room to separate the energy. We're going to put the mics outside the control room and put us next to each other. And that's how we're going to actually do these vocals. We're doing these vocals next to each other. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was it was it was a definitely a, an amazing technique that she was using. I hold no credit for that. I mean, I mean, you know, the fact that they took two of my songs at the beginning is a great thing to say I started off the album. Yeah, but that's the only thing I'm holding towards that. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm not. was dope about those two songs, and I tell this story all the time. I remember going to a Grammy party, and Beyonce said, Rock, come in. You won't believe this. And I said, what's up? She said, do you know that when we did the show in Atlanta, Prince came to that show? And Prince said that she came to, he came to the show to hear his records, the, his favorite records that were on the album, which were If and Free. I hold that moment. As you should. And I hold that moment. So I want, a book. I want to do a book called, and I hope I get a chance to get this book out, God's Willing I Live, called The Rock Wilder, 30 Years in the Moment, from 2020 to 1992 to 2022. I share some magical moments. But, it, you know, but, you know, the problem with that is that, like, my man, you about to drop something with Buster re- like soon. Like, your moments is still going. My moment with Buster is solidified even even if we chose to do more, it's still solidified as he him being such a fan of my music as as he tells me all the time, and me being a fan of him as an iconic artist. You yeah. know what I'm saying? All right, let go of the fact that I could go to the studio, he'll let me in, we'll listen to beats all night, and then we'll go party and get drunk and, and party all night till like five in the morning, as you know Buster to do. You know what I'm saying? But the fact that, and I tell Redman this a lot of times, and I tell Jay this, but I don't tell Jay this, but I, I have this with Jay. But these are icons. Yeah. Of you know what I'm these are icons. Like I just somebody just showed me a reel in in, in the Brooklyn Museum. And it's my reel of, of for my thugs that I did for Jay-Z. You know what I'm saying? And then you got the 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 Life and Times of Sean Carter. You got the the black album. You know what I'm saying? And then but, you got, you know. There's some, but but there's so many different icons that you work with. I mean, we're talking about hip hop. Yeah. We've already talked about it. years, and I'm giving and you. We, didn't mention, we, you, we started with Nas. We didn't really get into 50. 50. We didn't pun, get into Snoop. Pun. We didn't get into Pun. Like, you have, what, two tracks on Capital Punishment? I have two tracks on Capital Punishment. Two tracks on Capital Punishment, which. Because of Pun's career, is always going to be his seminal work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, your your record in terms of your history and resume with icons is it's it's. Woof. I, I I got I got one. And to that point, uh, I got one more question before we get out of here. Mm. This has been fantastic, and like, oh, thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Such a, a such a rich, rich, rich conversation, and I'm not surprised, but I am very appreciative. Mm. Um, we do this thing on the Charles Coleman podcast called Life or Death Hip Hop Karaoke. So <laughs> the way this works is, uh, you get a phone call, and it's Rashid, and somebody got Rashid, and. They tell you come to a place, you come to the place, they say, look, we got your man, but we're going to give you a chance to get him free. You have one hip hop song that you did not do. It's a record you didn't do, right? That you have to know from start to finish every single word right. If you get every word right, we're going to let your man go. If you mess up a word, He's out of here. What do you choose? Hip hop karaoke, like all the verses, all the verses, like all the verses. It, does, it doesn't. You, it doesn't have to be multiple verses in the song. But if you choose a song that has multiple verses, you got to get every verse right. Can't be something you did. 
Who the hell is this? Paging me at 5.46 in the morning, crack of dawn, and now I'm yawning. Wipe the coal out my eye. <laughs> Paging me, and why? It's my man Pop from the barbershop. Told me he was in the gambling shop and heard the intricate plot. Niggas want to stick me like flypaper, neighbor. Slow down, love. Trees till got drop the caper. Remember, Remember them niggas in the hill up in Brownsville that you rolled dice with? That's a got nice with? Yeah, my nigga fame up in Prospect. Nah, that's my nigga. Nah, love with disrespect. I didn't say them. I schooled, he schooled me to some niggas that you knew from Black Wind. You got a lot of niggas. Now they heard you blowing up like a Now they want to stick the knife through your windpipe slow. So they pay for warning me because now I wanted you. I got the Mac, nigga. Tell me what you want to do. Damn. Well done. Well done. Well done. All right. Rashid, let's see another day. Thank you, Biggie. Thank you, Biggie, for that amazing fucking verse because that verse is like, that verse is ridiculous. And you got it. And you got it. And I got it. This has been so phenomenal, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your heart. Thank you. Thank you for your dedication to what it is that you do. Your music has done so much for so many, and it has given us truly anthems. Wow. been an anthology of culture. Like, the, the number of places that you have touched the number of times and platforms that you have built with your art that have allowed other people to use language and voice and pitch and tone and sound to mm-hmm. touch people. That mm-hmm. shit is such a gift, bro. And yeah. so on behalf of true fans like myself, fans of the culture, people yeah. who believe in the culture, thank you so much. This thank has been you. a great conversation. The Rottweiler, the legend on the Charles Coleman podcast. That's what we do here on our Black Brothers Branded Conversations. Stay tuned for more. We got more stuff coming up on the Charles Coleman Podcast. We'll be right back. Peace.